Volume One, Chapters Twenty Six and Twenty Seven of A Strange World by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty Six. Good night, good rest. Ah, neither be my share. Maurice Clissold sat for some time smoking and musing by the hearth sat till the light faded outside the diamond-paned windows and the shadows deepened within the room he might have sat on longer had he not been surprised by the opening of a door in that angle of the hall which was sacred to age and infirmity in the person of old mrs trevenard it was the door of her room which had opened have they come back yet asked her feeble old voice no ma'am answered maurice not yet can i do anything for you no sir it's the strange gentleman mr mr clissold yes ma'am won't you come to your old place by the fire no i've my fire in here thank you kindly but the place seems so lonesome when they're away i'm not much of one to talk myself but i like to hear voices the hours seem so long without them you can come in if you please sir my room is kept tidy i believe i should fret if i thought it wasn't the old woman was standing on the threshold of the door opening between the two rooms maurice had risen to offer her assistance come in and sit down a bit she said pleased at having found someone to talk to for it was a notorious fact at borsal end that old mrs trevenard always had a great deal more to say for herself when her daughter-in-law was out of the way than she had in the somewhat freezing presence of that admirable housewife maurice complied and entered the room which he had observed through the half-glass door a comfortable homely room enough in the light of an excellent fire old mrs trevenard required a great deal of warmth she went back to her armchair and motioned her visitor to a seat on the other side of the hearth it's very kind of you to be troubled with an old woman like me she mumbled i dare say you could tell me plenty of interesting stories about borsal end if you were inclined mrs trevenard said maurice ah there's a few houses without a history few women of my age that haven't seen a good deal of family troubles and family secrets the best thing an old woman can do is to hold her tongue that's what my daughter-in-law is always telling me least said soonest mended ah thought maurice the dowager has been warned against being over-communicative contemplating the room more at his leisure now that he had done from outside he perceived a picture hanging over the chimney-piece which he had not noticed before it was a commonplace portrait enough by some provincial limner's hand the portrait of a young woman in a gypsy hat and flowered damask gown a picture that was perhaps a century old is that picture over the chimney a portrait of one of your son's family ma'am asked maurice yes that's my husband's mother justina trevenard justina the name startled him so uncommon a name and to find it here in the trevenard family that's a curious name he said and one which recalls a person i met under peculiar circumstances have you had many justinas in the trevenard family since that day no there was never anybody christened after her i met your granddaughter in the garden the other night mrs trevenard said maurice determined to find out whether this blind woman was a friend to muriel and i was grieved to see her in so sad a condition muriel 
yes poor girl it's very sad sad for all of us answered the old woman with a sigh saddest of all for her father he was so proud of that girl spared no money to make her a lady and now he can't bear to see her it wounds him too deep to see such a wreck yet he won't have her away from the house he likes to know that she's near him and as well cared for as she can be in her state it must have been a great sorrow that so changed her it was more sorrow than she could bear poor child though others have borne harder things she was crossed in love her brother told me yes yes crossed in love that was it the young man that she loved died young and she was told of it suddenly the shock turned her brain she had a fever and every one thought she was going to die she got the better of the illness but her senses never came back to her she's quite harmless as you've seen i dare say but she has her fancies and one is to think that the young man she was fond of is still alive and that he'll keep his promise and come back to her maurice told mrs trevenard of his first night at borsal end and the intrusion which had shortened his slumbers ah to think that she should have happened to find her way there that night close as we keep her my door is always locked and she can't get out into the house without coming through this room but i suppose that night i must have forgotten to take the key out of the door and put it under my pillow as i do mostly and the poor child went roaming about the house by moonlight that's an old trick of hers the room where you sleep was her room once upon a time and she always goes there if she gets the chance it was unlucky that it should have happened the first night of your being here she is very fond of you i suppose said maurice anxious to hear more of one in whom he felt a strong interest yes i think she likes me better than any one else now better even than her own mother why yes she does not get on very well with her mother she has odd fancies about her i thought as much i have heard her speak of a child that was a mere delusion i conclude yes that was one of her fancies has mrs trevenard never consulted any medical man upon the state of her daughter's mind medical man repeated the old woman dubiously you mean a doctor i suppose yes dr mitchell from seacombe has seen the poor child many a time and given her physic for this that and the other but he says her mind will never be any different there's no use worrying about that he gives her stuff for her appetite sometimes for she has but a poor appetite at the best she's sorely wasted away from the figure she was once upon a time she was a very beautiful girl i have heard from martin yes i never saw a handsomer girl than muriel when she came from school it was all along of sending her to boarding-school things went wrong how do you mean oh dear me sir you mustn't listen to my rambling talk i'm a weak old woman and i dare say my mind goes astray sometimes just like muriel's a light step sounded on the narrow stairs a door in the panelling opened and the figure maurice had first seen in the spectral light of the moon came towards the hearth and crouched down at the grandmother's knees 
a slender figure dressed in a light-coloured gown which looked white in the uncertain flare of the fire a pale worn face a mass of tangled hair muriel took the old woman's withered hand laid her hollow cheek against it and kissed it fondly granny she murmured patient loving granny muriel's only friend mrs trevenard smoothed the dark hair with her tremulous hand how tangled it is muriel why won't you let me brush it and keep it nice for you my poor old hands can do that without the help of eyes why should it be made smooth or nice he isn't coming back yet see here granny you shall dress me the day he comes home all in white with myrtle in my hair like a bride i would have orange blossoms if i knew where to get any there are some orange trees up at the manor house i'll ask him to bring me some i was never dressed like a bride oh muriel muriel so full of fancies ah but there are some of them real too real where is the old cradle that my little brother used to sleep in i don't know darling in the loft perhaps they should have burnt it i peeped into the loft one day and saw it in a corner the old cradle it set me thinking such strange thoughts she remained silent for a few minutes still crouching at her grandmother's knees and with her hollow eyes fixed on the low fire didn't you hear a child cry she asked suddenly looking up with a listening face first at the old woman then at maurice didn't you granny no love i heard nothing didn't you then to maurice no indeed ah you are all of you deaf i hear that crying so often a poor little feeble voice it comes and goes like the wind in the long winter nights but it sounds so distant why doesn't it come nearer why doesn't it come close to us that we may take the child in and comfort it ah muriel muriel so full of fancies repeated the old woman like the burden of an ancient ballad the sound of doors opening and loud voices announced the return of the family you'd better go back to the hall sir bridget won't like to find you here with her said mrs trevenard in a hurried whisper pointing to the figure leaning against her knees maurice obeyed without a word his last look at muriel showed him the great haggard eyes gazing at the fire the wasted hand clasped upon the grandmother's knee he left borsal early next morning martin insisting upon bearing him company for the first few miles of his journey he had paid liberally for his entertainment rewarded the servant and parted upon excellent terms with mr and mrs trevenard and the blind grandmother but he saw no more of muriel and it was with her image that borsal end was most associated in his mind when he was parting with martin he ventured to speak of her for the first time since that conversation in the dog-cart martin i am going to say something which will perhaps offend you but it is something i can't help saying i don't think there's much fear of offence between you and me at least not on my side i am not so sure of that some subjects are hazardous even between friends you remember our talk about your sister well i have seen her twice since then never mind how or where and i am more interested at her sad story than i can well express to you it seems to me that there is something in that story which you her only brother ought to know or in a word that she has need of your love and protection do not suppose for a moment that i would insinuate anything against your father and mother 
they have doubtless done their duty to her according to their lights but it is just possible that she has need of more active friendship more sympathetic affection than they can give she clings to her old grandmother a fading succour when old mrs trevenard dies your sister will lose a natural nurse and protector it will be your duty to lighten that loss for her to interpose your love between her and the sense of desolation that may then arise you are not angry with me for saying so much angry with you no indeed you set me thinking that's all poor muriel i used to be so fond of her when i was a little chap and perhaps i have thought too little about her of late years my mother doesn't like any interference upon that point doesn't even like me to talk of my poor sister and so i've gotten into the way of taking things for granted and holding my tongue honestly if i had thought there was anything to be done for muriel that she could be better off than she is or happier than she is i should have been the first to make the attempt to bring about that improvement but my mother has always told me there was nothing to be done except submit to the will of providence your mother may be right martin it is not for me a stranger in your home to gainsay her but your sister's case seems to me most pitiful and it will be long before i shall get her image out of my mind if ever there should come a time when you may need the advice or the assistance of a man of the world upon that subject be very sure my best services will be at your disposal and whenever you come to london on business or on pleasure remember that you are to make my home yours i shall take you at your word but you are more likely to come back to borsal than i am to come to london for mind i count upon your coming next summer and now you are so thick with the manor-house people you've some inducement for coming added martin with the faintest touch of bitterness there is temptation enough for me at borsal end martin without any question of the manor-house martin shook his head incredulously miss bellingham is too pretty to be left out of the question he said miss bellingham a mere dresden china beauty a very fine specimen of human waxwork i have told you my adventure in that line martin i'm not likely to make a second venture they parted with the friendliest farewell and maurice felt that he was leaving something more than a chance acquaintance behind him at Barcelona. twenty seven such a lord is love nothing could be more perfect than that serenity which ruled the domestic life of penwin manor the judgment which maurice clissold had formed of that life as seen from the outside was fully confirmed by its inner everyday aspect mr and mrs penwin had no company manners they did not pose themselves before a stranger as model husband and wife and settled their small differences at their leisure in the sanctuary of the ladies dressing-room or the gentlemen's study they had no differences but lived in each other and for each other yet so impossible is perfect happiness to erring mortality even here there was a hitch affection the most devoted peace that knew not so much as a summer cloud across its fair horizon these there were truly but not quite happiness madge penwin had discovered somehow by some subtle power of intuition given to anxious wives that the husband she loved so fondly was not altogether happy that he had his hours of lassitude and depression when the world seemed to him like hamlet's world out of joint his dark moments when even she had no spell that could exorcise his demon vainly she sought a cause for these changeful moods was he tired of her had he mistaken his own feelings when he chose her for his wife no even when perplexed by his fitful spirits she could not doubt his love 
that revealed itself with true simple force she knew him well enough to know that his love for her was the diviner half of his nature once on the eve of an event which was to complete the sacred circle of their home life when her nature was most sensitive and she clung to him with a pathetic dependence madge ventured to speak of her husband's intervals of gloom i'm afraid there is something wanting even in your life churchill she said gently fearful lest she should touch some old wound that you are not quite happy at penwin not happy my dear love if i am not happy here and with you there is no such thing as happiness for me why should i not be happy i have no wish unfulfilled except perhaps some dim half-formed aspiration to make my name famous an idea with which most young men begin life and which i can well afford to let stand over for future consideration while i make the most of the present here with you but churchill you know that i would not stand between you and ambition you must know how more than proud any success of yours would make me yes dearest and by and by i will put up for seacombe and try to make a little character in the house for your sake replied mr penwin with a yawn it's a wonderful thing how ambitious a man feels while he has his living to win and only his own wits to help him then indeed the distant blast of fame's trumpet is a sound that wakes him early in the morning and keeps him at his post in the night watches but then fame means income position the world's esteem all the good things of life the penniless struggler knows he must be caesar or nothing give the same man a comfortable estate like penwin and fame becomes a mere addendum to his life an ornament which vanity may desire but which hardly weighs against the delight of idle days and nights that know not care in short darling since i won fortune and you i have grown somewhat forgetful of the dreams i cherished when i was a struggling bachelor is it regret for those old dreams that makes you so gloomy sometimes churchill i do not regret them i regret nothing i am not gloomy said churchill eagerly never question my happiness madge joy is a spirit too subtle to endure a doubter's analysis god forbid that you and i should be otherwise than utterly happy oh my dear love never doubt me let us live for each other and let me at least be sure that i have made your life all sunshine it has never known a cloud since our betrothal churchill except when i have thought you depressed and despondent neither depressed nor despondent madge only thoughtful a man whose early days have been for the most part given up to thinking must have his hours of thoughtfulness now and then and perhaps my life here has smacked a little too much of the lotus land i must begin to look about me and take more interest in the estate in short follow in the footsteps of my worthy grandfather the old squire as soon as i can add the respectable name of father to my qualifications for the post that time came before the sickle had been put to the last patch of corn upon the uplands above penwin manor the halting bell of penwin church rang out its shrill peal one august morning and the little world within earshot of the manor knew that the squire rejoiced in the coming of his first-born there were almost as many bonfires in the district that summer night out flaring the mellow harvest moon as at penzance on the eve of st john the evangelist the first-born was a son whose advent the newspapers local and metropolitan duly recorded at penwin manor august twenty fifth the wife of churchill penwin esq of a son nugent churchill the newcomer's names had been settled beforehand the sweet thing exclaimed lady chesant when she read the announcement in the reading-room of a german kursaal i feel as if she had made me a grandmother 
and lady cheshunt wrote straight off to her silversmith and ordered him to make the handsomest thing in christening cups and sent a six-page letter to mrs penwin by the same post requesting in a manner that amounted to a command that she might be represented by proxy as sponsor to the infant the child's coming gave new brightness to the domestic horizon viola was in raptures this young nephew was the first baby that had ever entered into the sum of her daily life she seemed to regard him as a phenomenon very much as grave fellows of the zoological society regarded the first hippopotamus born in regent's park madge saw no more clouds on her husband's brow after that gentle remonstrance of hers indeed he took pains to demonstrate his perfect contentment his naturally energetic character reasserted itself he threw himself heart and soul into that one ambition of the old squire the improvement and aggrandizement of the penwin estate he made a fine road across those lonely hills and planted the land on both sides of it with scotch and norwegian firs wherever there was ground available for plantation the young groves arose as if by magic giving a new charm to the face of the landscape and a new source of revenue to the lord of the soil mr penwin also interested himself in the mining property and finding his agent an easy-going incapable sort of person took the collection of the royalty into his own hands much to the improvement of his income people shrugged their shoulders and said that the new squire was just such another as old nick meaning the late nicholas penwin but careful as he was of his own interest churchill did not prove himself an illiberal landlord or a bad paymaster those plantations and new roads of his gave employment enough to use up all the available labour of the district and impart new prosperity to the neighbourhood when he suggested an improvement to a tenant he was always ready to assist in carrying it out he renewed leases to good tenants upon the easiest terms but was merciless in the expulsion of bad tenants he was just one of those landlords who do most to improve the condition of an estate and the people on it and in ireland would inevitably have met with a violent death the celts of western england took matters more quietly abused him a good deal owned that he was the right sort of man for the improvement of the soil and submitted to fate which had given them king stork rather than king log for their ruler when the election came on mr penwin put himself into nomination for seacombe and came in with flying colours all the trading classes voted for him out of self-interest he had spent more money in the town than any one of his name had ever expended there madge's popularity secured the lower classes her schools were the admiration of the district and she was raising up a model village between old penwin and the manor-house madge's folly mr penwin called the pretty cluster of cottages on the slope of the hill but he allowed his wife to draw upon his balance to any extent she pleased and never grumbled at the builder's bills or troubled her by suggesting that the money she was laying out was likely to produce something less than two per cent so churchill penwin wrote himself down m p and might be fairly supposed to have conquered all good things which fortune could bestow upon a deserving member of burke's landed gentry he had a fair young wife who won love and honour from all who knew her his infant heir was esteemed a model of all that is most excellent in babyhood his sister-in-law believed in him as the most wonderful and admirable of husbands and men his estate prospered his plantations grew and flourished the vast atlantic itself was as a lake beneath his windows and seemed to call him lord no cloud were it but the bigness of a man's hand obscured the brightness of his sky mr and mrs penwin spent their second season in town with greater distinction than their first more people were anxious to know them 
more exalted invitation cards showered in upon them and churchill who had been a successful man even in the days of his poverty felt that he had then only tasted the skimmed milk of success and that this which was offered to his lips to-day was the cream there was a subtle difference in the manner of his reception by the same world nowadays if he had been only a country gentleman with the ability to make a furnished house in belgravia the difference might have been slight enough or indeed the advantage might have been on the side of the portionless barrister with his way to make in life and his chances of success before him but churchill's maiden speech had been a success he had developed a special capacity for committees had shown slow-going county members how to get through their work in about one-fifth of the time they had been in the habit of giving to it had proved himself a master of railway and mining economics in a word without noise or bluster or assumption had infused something of transatlantic go-aheadishness into all the business to which he put his hand men in high places marked him as a young man worth cultivating and thus before the session was over churchill penwin had tasted the first fruits of parliamentary success perhaps if ever a man went in danger of being spoiled by a wife churchill penwin was that man madge simply worshipped him to hear him praised to see him honoured was to her of all praise and honour the highest she shaped all the circumstances of her life to suit his interests and his convenience chose her acquaintance at his bidding would have given up the greatest party of the season to sit by his side in the dingy eaton square study copying paragraphs out of a blue book for his use and advantage churchill on his side was careful not to impose upon devotion so unselfish and was never prouder than in assisting at his wife's small social triumphs he chose the colours of her dresses and took as much interest in her toilet as in the state of the mining market he never seemed so happy as in those rare evenings which he contrived to spend alone with madge or in hearing some favourite opera with her and going quietly home afterwards to a snug little tete-a-tete supper while viola was dancing to her heart's content under the wing of some good-natured chaperon like lady chesunt that friendly dowager was enraptured with her protege's domestic life my sweet love you renew one's belief in arcadia she exclaimed to madge after her enthusiastic fashion i positively must buy you a crook and a lamb or two to lead about with blue ribbons you are the simplest of darlings to see how you worship that husband of yours puts me in mind of bosses and what's-his-name and all that kind of thing and to think that i should have taken such trouble to warn you against this very man but then who could imagine that young penwin would have been so good-natured as to die when are you coming to see me at the manor lady chesunt asked madge laughing at her friend's raptures you can form no fair idea of my domestic happiness in london you must see me at home in my arcadia with my crook and flock you dear child i shall certainly come in august i'm so glad you must be sure to come before the twenty-fifth that's nugent's birthday you know and i mean to give a pastoral fete in honour of the occasion and you will see all my cottagers and their children and the rough miners and discover what a curious kingdom we reign over in the west my dearest love i detest poor people and tenants and cottagers but i shall come to see you end of volume one chapters twenty six and twenty seven